Hey everyone, today on the podcast I'm talking with world-renowned performance expert Steve Magnus. Steve is also an amazing author. He has a new book out called Do Hard Things. And today we are talking about doing hard things, being tough, and what actually is toughness. This is a great conversation and I really think you're going to enjoy it. Pull up a chair and buckle up. It's the Original Strength Podcast. Steve, um, first of all, I found out that you graduated from George Mason University. I did. That's really cool. Um, my son, my youngest son, I'm actually going to ship him up there uh, this Thursday uh, for he's, he's, he's a freshman going into George Mason. Oh, that's amazing. Well, best of luck to them. I, lo- I love my time there. I love the area there. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it seems like a really nice campus. And I've not heard anybody say anything bad about George Mason that's been there. So I'm excited. Yeah, that's amazing. No, as I said, I love my time there. So um yeah, I have nothing but good things to say. So best of luck to him. Awesome. Um, second thing is you are a performance scientist. Yes. What what is a performance scientist? Great. That is a catch-all term. That means I probably do a lot of different things. And maybe to explain that best is my background is in exercise physiology, my academic background with a little bit of exercise psychology. Um, And I applied that to runners for a really long time. But what happened is I kept like expanding, you know, people would ask me from all sorts of sports and all sorts of walks of life. So I just went kind of like, the catch-all of catch-all terms that says, hey, I help people figure out how to perform better. That's really cool. Um, I I thought that's something around that line, but I just want to make sure that, you know, the folks at home, uh, you know, they might know what a performance scientist is. Um, But you're you're really so much more than that. You're a fantastic author. Uh, You have, I think, four books. Yep. um, But your latest book is Do Hard Things. And that's a, it's a really good book. And I got to tell you, it's not what I expected at all. (laughs) Yeah, you know, Tim, that was kind of intentional um, where it's like you titles are the toughest, are often the toughest part of the book to figure out, as you might imagine. And, you know, with this one, we thought, okay, what is a core message that is important? but also will attract people to read the book where hopefully I can give maybe a more nuanced, uh, slightly different take on, on something and, and surprise people, hopefully, you know, pleasantly. Well, you sir are brilliant because it was, you based off the title, it was not what I expected, but it was so much better. Like, like it was, it was a really refreshing, neat, very neat book. Like I, and I don't want to give, well, I want you to talk about it, but to me, it was like a, like a layman's guide to Zen or like how to really do inner work. You know what I mean? Like, um, I don't know. It was something so unexpected, but like, so when I was listening to him, I'm like, man, I, I need this. This is great. I love that. No, you're, you're making feel, me feel good because you never know how people will interpret your work. That's one of the crazy things about writing, but you're right. It, it, is so much of that that kind of layman's guide to zen or that inner work hopefully in a approachable manner because so often what happens is we get so focused on the external and the external stuff often sells 
but it really is that kind of inner strength, inner peace that really allows us to kind of live our life to the fullest and take on difficult things. Yeah, I, I think anybody that gets this book is going to have some a useful, a very useful tool or a guide to help them do some inner work or just to to discover how to do hard things. It, exactly. That's that's really my hope. And I'm so glad you picked up on that. So that makes me feel like, you know, mission job done, at least for for one one reader. Well done. Yes, at least for me, for sure. Um, but in the book, you do talk about hard things and you talk about toughness. And could you just provide your definition of toughness? Yeah, absolutely. So I think my definition is this is it's experiencing any sort of discomfort that could be stress, that could be fatigue, could be anxiety, and then figuring out how to create the space to navigate that discomfort so you end up with taking what I'd call like a wise or thoughtful action. And I really tried to frame it around, you know, the decision that you're making because I think for too often with toughness or resilience, we often think of it as like, oh, I'm just going to put my head down, grip my teeth and like bulldoze or push through this, this uncomfortable moment. And that might work occasionally, but more so it's like, well, how do we, th that doesn't work all the time. And there's going to be situations where it's going to fail. So how do we thoughtfully navigate these, uh, these moments? And that's what I really tried to center on. No, I think, I thought it was great. Like within the, I think it was maybe even the introduction of the first, the first chapter when you were talking about navigating through discomfort, I was like, man, that is, that is so simple and powerful at the same time, but that's, that's, that's perfect toughness. Right. Um, and, and because you are navigating through discomfort, could quitting be an act of toughness? Yeah. You know, I think this, I think it is. And what really convinced me is I was talking to climbers, like people who climb big mountains, like Mount Everest or what have you. And they put it to me pretty simple. They said, when you're almost at that summit and you can like see it, you know, it's a couple hundred yards away or whatever, and you know, you're going to get there. But with climbing, you have to realize, well, can I make it to the top and then turn around and make it all the way back down the mountain or what have you? And in that moment, the tough decision isn't to push forward because that's right there. The tough decision is to stop, pause, and take, take a moment and realize, do I have the capabilities to make it the top and all the way back down? And if I don't, I need to quit. Even though the thing that I spent months and years like training for is right there in my grasp. But you have to think of the big picture, which is like, will I make it back for my family, et cetera, all that stuff. So I think in a lot of ways, and I, you know, I get it, that's climbing, but quitting is often the tough right decision because it can open up our world and our space for something else to do. It's not necessarily a negative. It's saying, hey, I might need to prioritize this or that over here more so than this thing that, you know, I've been persisting in and for a really long time. So absolutely, I think quitting can be the tough decision. Yeah, I, and I, I think part of the hard part about quitting things is that like growing up, you know, don't be a quitter. Um, 
and and you go into great detail in the book about how we we just got the wrong idea of toughness um and well how how did we get the wrong idea like yeah. we all have this idea of like to be tough but we it's- we we do and i think you know everybody i talked to had the same idea of like well what was your idea of toughness growing up same thing and I think what happened is this kind of what I'll now call old school model took over for a, a couple of different reasons. A, it's because we mistakenly thought, oh, this is what people who are tough in the military do. And then that became, oh, this is what people who are tough in sport do, which is, again, play through the pain, never quit, you know, ignore any emotions or doubts, like don't even say that you have doubts, right? Uh, no crying in baseball, whatever kind of accolade you want to say, or, you know, example you want to use, which essentially all sent the whole same message, which is, you know, we silently, stoically almost push through everything. And if you don't, you're a quitter, you're a loser, et cetera, et cetera. And I think what that's done is a, it doesn't work very well. If you look at the research and actual high performers, And B, it set this incredibly unrealistic expectation that if you aren't able to kind of quietly push through whatever it is, then you're the opposite of tough, which we often associate as weak, which is like this big negative like connotation with it, um, which often isn't true. Often it's you don't have the tools to maybe handle that difficult moment or haven't been taught or trained up to do so. So I think it it does us a big disservice. And actually, if you, again, you look at some of the psychology and research, it shows the same thing, which is those who kind of adopt this old school model often, you know, train and teach athletes or students or whoever, not how to be tough, but it trains them to essentially be less disciplined, have more emotional outbreaks not know how to manage the emotions of winning or losing or stress because they've only been given one simple strategy. So it actually, the old model actually backfires over the long haul. Is it possible that the old model could train people to be immature in decision-making? Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember um, one particular practice uh, for football in middle school called I Will Not Quit Day um, that my team experienced after we lost by like 40 something points. <laughs> and, and it's a miracle that anybody that was in that practice is alive today because of that one day. And like out of fear, though, um, you know, out of fear of not getting to be able to play again or having to ride the bench or not, you know, get in a starter position or whatever. What I mean, it was just and fear of the coach. We all did it um, just just to get through it. But inside, like every every bit of me was screaming, "This is stupid! Like you shouldn't be doing this. This this is not right." You know, and I'm like, but but out of the fear of not being able to be on the football team or whatever the fear was, we did it anyway. At least I know I did it anyway, but I was with 22 other people. Um, and, and I don't know, like to me, that could almost set me up in the future. And, and that, because I've done other stuff out of fear, right. Uh, out of, or not wanting to disappoint somebody or, or whatever the reason overriding my own intuition though. 
Exactly. I think that example is one that um, a lot of people resonate. In fact, in, in writing and research the book, I talked to a lot of people who had similar stories and they all, you know, explain the same kind of conclusion. I did it. I survived it. But the experience was I was getting through it, not because I thought this would get me better or would help me or like it was motivating to, to me. It was essentially because I was, you know, afraid of punishment or being kicked off the team or whatever, or disappointing someone. And what you're doing there is that you're exactly right is when that is the, what we internalize, we're internalizing and developing and stoking this fire of, oh, I should be motivated out of fear. And what we know is that that motivation style over the long haul fails because it isn't very strong or robust. It relies on, you know, this kind of short-term emotion that was meant to like, you know, make us escape the lion for a situation where it's like, yeah, fear works in that situation, but it's not meant to like sustain your junior high and high school football career for years on end, right? And we know from, again, decades of psychology work that what the motivation that actually lasts is motivation that is intrinsic, that is internal, that is like, I want to pursue this out of, you know, getting better or the joy in the pursuit or seeing progress or whatever have you. So absolutely, that old model can backfire intensely. And in fact, if you look at most of the situations where, you know, we almost celebrate, you know, coaches, especially in athletics, that do crazy difficult things. And people are like, oh, look at the strong ones. They survived. If you look at what the athletes actually said, they said, you know, I survived out of fear or I only lasted because, you know, I didn't have anything better to do in some of the like 1950s, 1960s football examples. You know, people will say it was either stay on the team or go back and work in the fields, which I didn't want to do. So I stayed on the team. And what you realize is the people who sometimes quit, they they were sometimes like secure. And they said, you know what, football might not be for me, but I can go join the baseball team or, you know, whatever in, in an avenue where uh, I can excel and not kind of, you know, perform out of this place for, of fear. How does... Or does it, um, does purpose or lack of purpose play a role in, in a person's ability to do hard things or to be tough? Yeah, purpose is what I'd call the ultimate performance enhancer. Meaning if you have a purpose or meaning that is greater than yourself, that isn't just like, oh, I wanna make some money or cash or whatever have you. But it's, you know, I guess it could be that if that like helps your family or what have you but that is something that is greater than yourself. Actually, it makes things seem a little bit more manageable and also allows you to tap into a little bit of you know, extra resources. The way I like to think about it is this, is that whenever we go through a stressful or difficult moment that requires some kind of toughness or resilience, our brain's job is to protect us. So it sounds that alarm to say like, hey, you might not want to push because you could be in physical danger or you might not want to go on stage because your you know, identity or ego could be threatened. So our brain is protective. When we have a strong purpose, essentially what it does is it say, yes, you might be under threat, but I, your brain's almost like, I see the motivation behind it. 
I see that this is incredibly meaningful and powerful to you. So I'm going to loosen the reins and not sound the alarm as much because like this is worth the risk. It's worth pushing a little bit further because it means so much to you um, and your family or your support or whatever have you. So absolutely, I think one of the key things is, you know, des- developing a sense of purpose that is meaningful and then also authentic to who you are and what you're trying to pursue. Is purpose the same thing as drive or are they related? Yeah, so I think they're, they're incredibly related. I think purpose is kind of like this higher level greater than yourself. Drive is often like the motivation behind it. So I think they're deeply interconnected. Cool. Um, you have four pillars of, of toughness. Um, one of the pillars is listening to your body. How can self-awareness of your body help a person become more tough or more able to navigate through difficult situations? Yeah. So here is, again, one of those spots where I think the old school model gets it wrong because it's like, ignore all this stuff. But our, what we feel and the signals our body is sending us are vital. They're our communication system. An example I like to give here that really gets this clear is if you've ever dealt with young kids, uh, my wife is elementary school teacher. So she's the one who taught me this, but she said, you know, one day, why do kids throw tantrums? You know, have you ever watched a kid throw a tantrum? I'm like, you know, I've seen it not as much as you, obviously. She said, well, when you ask them what's wrong, what do they do? They say like, I'm sad, you know, and they always say like the same thing. It's a very limited vocabulary. Have you ever thought about why that happened? She'd ask and like, no, she said, well, it's, be- it's because they're experiencing this barrage of emotions, often that they don't know when they're maybe, you know, first time in kindergarten or first grade or what have you. They're experiencing this barrage of emotions and they can't sort through them because they don't know the nuance that maybe you or I do as adults. So everything is sadness. Well, we might say, instead of sadness, we might say, I feel lonely or disappointed or frustrated or jealous or what have you. All of those things get lumped into the same thing for them. And what this tells me is is pretty simple is that you know, our emotional world is really complex. And if we understand the nuance of it, it allows us to understand the message and then deal with the thing, the stressful thing a lot better. So if I know I'm lonely, then I I can go call a friend or, you know, go out to eat with friends or what have you. If I know I'm jealous, well, that allows me to understand like, okay, I can rationally work through this. In a lot of ways, like understanding and listening to your body It's similar when we go through physical pursuits, right? Anybody who's trained as an athlete understand has to quickly learn the difference between pain that means injury and pain that might mean a little bit of fatigue or soreness or tiredness. One, you can work through. Another, you want to say, hey, like, let's stop and evaluate. The only way we can understand, you know, that nuance is like being in those situations in gaining that self-awareness to distinguish what is what and which signals are, are uh, being relayed to us. That's awesome. Um, and I, I don't want to go into all the pillars and stuff because I do want, I think people should read this book. Um, 
So I'll just ask you a few more questions. Uh, as far as developing toughness goes, just to pick your brain, do you think toughness, which would be better, uh, signing up for a, a Spartan race or maybe having conversation? Oh, that's a great question, Tim. So that's a really good question. So I think there is value in, in both things in the sense that both things could put you in, in a, you know, a Spartan race could put you in a kind of novel new environment that stretches your capabilities and makes you feel a little uncertain. But I think there's so much value in creating, you know, having conversations and connection as well that can almost give you kind of the social support uh, that allows you to take on challenges as well. So I think there's a lot of intertwinement there and like different avenues. Yeah, at the one, of, I think it was towards the end of the book, but you were talking about people that suffer together or have experiences together. And, you know, old school model is, well, if you suffer together, you have a bond, but that's really not the case where it was maybe if they had shared experiences that they were passionate about or like interested in that, that would really create bonds um, that could forge toughness. And, you know, even in relationships. Exactly. And I think that's, you know, what the research says um, is that that sense of trust is, is, is intricate and vital when you're developing those kind of bonds and relationships and that toughness and resilience. And we often get it wrong in the sense that we think we need to trust someone first before we maybe are vulnerable and share with them. But what the latest psychology tells us is it's kind of opposite, is that we share and are vulnerable with others in conversation. And that signals to them that says, oh, wait a minute, Tim trusts me because like he shared something that's pretty vulnerable. So I'm going to reciprocate that. And share something a little, you know, vulnerable or personal to me. And that is how that those bonds form. So they can absolutely happen in doing difficult things together. But it's often like doing difficult things in that shared passion space where you're both interested, where you both can kind of take down the wall a little bit and be yourself and be who you are and show that other person kind of who you are. That's kind of where the, the, the magic happens. And in fact, you know, I was reminded of this wonderful research that was done in the military where often we think like, oh, the, the shared difficult moments are where these, these military operators, uh, soldiers create bonds and trust. And it certainly plays a role. But what the researchers concluded was it was the in-between times that matter more. So the conversations when there was they were just waiting for something else to happen, the shared nothingness of, you know, it's just me and my platoon or squadron or whatever you want to call it. And we're just here spending time between those difficult moments is where that connection and, and community and sense of bond um, came, came and developed. And I think that applies to all the rest of us, especially in this this world that often like pushes us away from those in-between moments where we can have those conversations. Right on. Uh, yeah. Like, and you had that theme kind of going throughout about vulnerability, 
um, and dropping, you know, the not being fake or putting our putting the the face out there that we want everybody to see instead of being vulnerable. And all I could think about was I read this book uh, called A Course in Miracles and it had this theme uh, that in my defenselessness, my safety lies. Mm. And anyway, your book just resonated so strongly with me on so many different levels. But again, I think so well done, so much better than I expected. Not, and that's not a slam at all. I just, I didn't know. <laughs> um, but so if you're listening to this, Do Hard Things by Steve Magnus, you need to check this book out. But he is not just an author either. Steve, what is the growth equation? Yeah, the growth equation is the uh, podcast and newsletter that I do with with my good friend and colleague, Brad Stolberg. And we're really looking at just kind of performance holistically, performance, success, well-being, health, and trying to say, try and like cut through all the confusion and just really say, hey, what are the basic things that really work and the foundation of that? So that's kind of our mission because- there's so many, like, I don't know what I call like hacks and quick fixes to things. But as we've talked about in this conversation, it's often not the hacks and quick fixes that work, but it's like those central things to being a human, which are like community, connection, meaning, sense of purpose. Like those are where the gold lies. So like, let's really focus on those. And that's what we try and do on the growth equation. And there, there's some great content on there as well. So if you're listening, check that out, The Growth Equation. Steve, if people want to learn more from you and just get totally plugged in with you, where can they go? Yeah, you can find me um, all on social media at Steve Magnus. You can check out my books wherever books are sold. And then, as I said, we've got that newsletter at The Growth Equation, which I think is thegrowtheq.com, uh, which is a weekly free newsletter that goes out to a bunch of people where we just kind of have fun on the latest science and psychology of, of performance and well-being. Right on. Of your four books, what's your favorite? That that's like asking what your favorite kid favorite. is. Yep, um, yep. <laughs> I, I I think you know each book was is written at a specific time for a specific purpose. And I think they all have their kind of roles. So um, you know, it just depends on what resonates with you. Um, next hardest question, uh, crunchy peanut butter or creamy peanut butter? <laughs> I am a creamy peanut butter guy. And <laughs> do you still enjoy running? I do. I do. It is, you know, I've been a runner for a very long time, but its importance has shifted. It used to be competition. And now to me, it's really about you know, it's time by myself, um, out in nature, running on paths and trails, where it's, you know, I don't listen to music, I don't listen to podcasts, I'm just spending time in my head and, you know, often thinking about things and just kind of almost having that kind of like zen-like meditative moment where I'm just kind of in the zone. So it's a big stress reliever in my life. And I think whether that's running or or going on walks or some sort of other exercise or whatever it is for you. I think everybody should have something like that in their life. Right on. Amen. Steve, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been fantastic. Oh, thanks so much, Tim. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening, everyone. Now get outside and play.